Hi, my name's Josh, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Church podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that, by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. Today is the second in our series on gospel freedom. And today I want to talk to you about freedom from the self. If that sounds weird or harsh to you, let me explain a little more what I mean. When I was in high school, my geometry teacher was a wise man. He knew that as passionate as he was about math, and he was very passionate, not all of his students felt the same way. Shocking, I know. So he tried to make class more interesting and help us see things in greater depth by reading the book Flatland to us out loud over the course of the year. Flatland is a story of life and faith told through the allegory of geometry. I kid you not, it is a real thing. It sounds bizarre, but there is a lot there, though I mostly failed to appreciate that at the time. In the story, the main character is a square, not in the sense that he's boring and rule-abiding, but that he is literally a geometric square. The square lives in a two-dimensional world, and all the other beings in that world are also two-dimensional shapes. One day, he is visited by a sphere who descends from the third dimension to open the square's eyes to the reality that the universe is so much bigger than what the square knows. The sphere takes the square to other dimensions so that he can experience this for himself. In the one-dimensional world, for example, they encounter beings that are lines. And then the sphere takes our hero to a world with no dimensions. And all there is in that whole world is a point. And the point is completely self-absorbed because he cannot perceive anything outside of himself. As the square watches, the point, completely unaware of the existence of anyone else or even of its own insignificance, refers to itself in the third person and says, infinite the attitude of existence, it is, and there is none else beside it. It fills all space, and what it fills, it is. What it thinks, that it utters, And what it utters, that it hears. And it itself is thinker, utterer, hearer, thought, word, audition. It is the one, and yet the all in all. Ah, the happiness. The happiness of being. The square tries to talk to the point, to make it, too, aware that there is more to the universe. But the point completely satisfied in its self-absorption. It can't even conceive of the idea that there is anything else besides it. It is both pugnant and pitiable. Perhaps geometry is an odd way to talk about life and faith, and the metaphor is a bit hyperbolic, but Flatland has a point. See what I did there? Sorry. Funs aside, funs aside. The story conveys an important idea. Because taken to its logical extreme, that is what focus on the self becomes. 
And in a certain sense, self-centeredness is the natural state of being for humans. It always tickles me when people think humans are good and naturally empathetic. Have you met any small children? I, all of us know or have children, and there are wonderful things about them. They're made in the image of God, after all. But they are also very, very selfish little boogers. As soon as they learn how to talk, they figure out how to lie in their self-interest. I remember hearing a comedian tell the story one time of finding his toddler son trying to sneak a cookie. The little boy, when caught, solemnly explained, I was getting it for you, Daddy. <laughs> Likely story. Even from the youngest age, and sometimes especially at the youngest age, we humans are completely focused on ourselves. And out of that comes all sorts of sins, the sins Paul listed in the letter and more. In fact, one way of looking at sin, theologically speaking, is as a turning inward, a concavity into the self. To clarify, it is not that it is wrong to think of ourselves and to take care of our bodies and minds and emotions. The danger, the sin, is in always making that the primary focus, wrapping our lives around ourselves instead of focusing on God and consequently on others. Have you ever noticed that people who are constantly focused on seeking their own happiness often are the least joyful. They may have fleeting happiness from this pleasure or that, but they completely miss out on true and lasting joy. So how do we change this? One solution would seem to be to have a set of rules to help us focus on others. Sounds good, right? Who doesn't like rules? The law was just such a set of rules in the Old Testament. God gave the Israelites the law to help them live out the spirit of the law, to love God with all their hearts and minds and souls and strength, and to love their neighbors as themselves. But how did that turn out? In last week's reading, the epistle reading, which was from the same letter earlier than the passage we read today, Paul talked about the law as a disciplinarian. The word translated as disciplinarian in the text is a word meant to denote a slave entrusted with the care and discipline of a child until that child is an adult. The metaphor indicates that the authority of the law was always supposed to be temporary until such a time as we did not need it. So the law was a set of rules to help us live, out, live against our human nature to live against the sinful inclinations of our hearts until such a time as our hearts were changed. And so we were able to love God and neighbor without needing the disciplinarian of the law until, in a sense, we grew up in love and faith and righteousness. But we couldn't do it on our own. Just read the Old Testament. The Israelites couldn't get it right. And the father knew that. So in the fullness of time, he sent the Son. And when the Son returned to the Father, the Holy Spirit was sent. 
and the work of the Son, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and the work of the Spirit, the sanctification, the making holy of our hearts and souls and bodies, set us free from bondage to self. We no longer need the law to combat our self-centeredness. God sets us free from the slavery to sin, the slavery to that concavity, that turning inward. God sets us free so that we can have the joy of the Lord instead of the fleeting happiness of self-indulgence. Paul wrote, For freedom Christ has set us free. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love become slaves to one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. The gospel sets us free from the slavery to self. We are set free so that we can live joyfully, focused on God, and beautifully self-forgetful. So why do we still get stuck? Why do we still live like we are enslaved to the self? Why can't we seem to stop thinking about ourselves all the time, wrapping our lives around ourselves instead of focusing on God? Let me ask you another question. Have you ever noticed that you don't think about your toes unless there is something wrong with them? You don't worry about them. You just go through life. And the healthy functioning of your toes lets you walk and run and stand on tiptoe for a hug and kiss. But when there's something wrong, you just can't stop thinking about it. Have any of you ever stubbed your pinky toe? You can't ignore that, can you? You limp and grumble and check your toes until it feels better. The same thing is true with your sense of self. When it is how God made it to be, you shouldn't even have to think about it. But sin messes you up, and it messes up your sense of self. It turns you inward. It is like you're always wondering why your self is aching. It's like spending life bent over to examine your toes constantly. As Tim Keller puts it, people get their self-image from being a good person. They are a good person, and they hope that eventually they will get a verdict that confirms that they are a good person. Performance leads to verdict, which leads to self-absorption. Am I doing enough? Was I good enough today? Was I worthwhile? And you constantly have to keep looking at yourself to see how it's doing. Keller continues, in Christianity, the verdict leads to performance. Christ has earned the verdict for us. It's already been made. And that frees us to live well. Practically speaking, this is how that works out. The more you trust God's work on your behalf, the more you focus on what Jesus has done for you, the more you believe his promises, the more you will be freed from your natural self-centeredness. In a lot of ways, it comes naturally through the life of the Spirit. Paul talks about it as the fruit of the Spirit. Trees don't sit there groaning and grimacing like constipated toddlers when they're producing fruit. No. When they're living healthily, trees naturally produce fruit. 
when you are living in the Spirit, trusting Jesus, the Spirit produces fruit in you. And the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Doesn't that sound amazing? That's the life I want. You cultivate those fruit by making room for the work of the Spirit in your life, by cultivating the life of faith. You cultivate them by pursuing relationship with God, focusing more and more on God, and trusting that he'll take care of the rest. And the more you do those things, the more the Spirit works those fruit in you. And he sets you free from self-centeredness into the wonder and joy and peace of self-forgetfulness. Then you are able to offer the best of how and who God made you in loving service to those around you. In psychology, there's something called a flow state. It's when you are so engrossed in whatever you're doing that you lose that self-consciousness and are totally freely focused on something outside of yourself. We've all experienced that at some point or another. It's a wonderful feeling. I get it sometimes when I'm doing counseling, and I crave those sessions, because those are the sessions when I am the most connected with the person I am with. Those sessions when I forget myself are the sessions when I can let the Holy Spirit prompt me this way or that, and I'm not sitting there analyzing every single little thing. Is this right? Would that be better? Is that from the Holy Spirit or did I make that up? I'm just sitting there with the client, forgetting myself and completely focused on them. It is the best, most freeing feeling. Whether in counseling sessions or somewhere else, I, find my, I feel the most myself in those moments of self-forgetfulness. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had those moments talking to someone or working on a project or making something with your hands or running or sitting in nature or doing whatever? Have you ever had that feeling? Have you ever been in that flow state? Isn't it liberating? That is self-forgetfulness. Not self-neglect, not self-abasement, not self-deprecation, not any of those things that pretend to be good for us but are still focusing us back on self self-forgetfulness, the real deal. That is what God wants to lead us more and more into. Self-forgetfulness as we focus on God and live more and more fully into who he has called us to be. Self-forgetfulness as we serve our neighbor. Paul says, through love become slaves to one another. There's a beautiful freedom to love and serve when we are no longer enslaved to ourselves. Um. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.